0: As we sing that song, Open My Eyes, the truths that we have of Christ, all that he provides for us, I was thinking as we turn, and you can turn to Habakkuk. Should be a little more familiar to you now, at least, because our second week, back in chapter 1, and we'll start at verse 5, God is going to open the eyes of the prophet. What he's going to see isn't going to be real exciting to him. Well, it's going to be actually a little too exciting for him, and not so encouraging And yet at the same time, by the end of the book, we're going to see that Habakkuk's eyes are open and he sees God's sovereignty. And he's able to rejoice in whatever and worship God and whatever God allows in in his life and the life of his people. But even as we see in this first verse or verse five, what the prophet is going to have his eyes open to see. going to be very surprising indeed and we talked about as we started this uh, last week and even the the message before that about asking questions of god and the title of this series is habakkuk questioning god with a question mark is that okay to do and the answer is yes habakkuk brings questions to god because god's people have always struggled over the seeming contradictions His justice and yet his covenant loyalty, his love to his people, even in Old Testament times, many times. And this prophet, excuse me, Habakkuk had the same frustrations. At the same time, he did not complain or carry those on to other people, but he took them directly to God, which is what we need to do as well. So the Habakkuk brings his concerns directly to God, which is what we all should do. And yet, folks, remember that God's not obligated to give us the answer that we want to hear. God may answer in a way that may be even disconcerting to us, surprising to us, but it's certainly going to be different, God's answer, from the expectations of this prophet. And God's answer to the concerns of what Habakkuk has brought to him. And what were those, those concerns? Remind ourselves again Habakkuk is concerned about the evil and the wickedness around him. But this is in his own country. Maybe in a general sense, I'm sure he's concerned about the wickedness of the world. And we talked about the fact that these superpower countries, nations are battling out for supremacy. And pretty soon, the Chaldeans or the Babylonians would win out over the Assyrians. The Assyrians were the ones that took out the northern kingdom of Israel and dispersed them literally all over the known world. Egypt has been a love, kind of love-hate relationship with the Israelites. Sometimes they go to them to seek their help. Other times they're oppressed by them. And Egypt is fighting against uh, this new upstart power, the Babylonians, the Chaldeans, and we'll talk more about them in just a minute. Habakkuk certainly is probably distressed by seeing these wicked pagan nations that have so much power fighting it out. But his main concern is the sin amongst his own people. Remember, this is the sin of the nation of Judah, the southern kingdom. And he is looking around and he's saying, Lord, how much longer are you going to allow these things to happen? the the righteous remnant within Judah is being surrounded. you remember that picture? We're surrounded by our own people that are evil and out to get us and want to eradicate us. Lord, when are you going to act? When are you going to bring relief? We can look at that today. Again, Judah is a different situation the people of Israel in the Old Testament times were not only the people of God as far as spiritually, but <laughs> there were they were there were some the remnant that were the spiritual people of God but also there was the corporate political nation of Israel. All of those were God's people in a corporate political sense but all of them obviously had not trusted in him and were not spiritually his people. And yet you have when Habakkuk's lamenting over the evil, he's lamenting over the nation. Well, today we look around our nation, we certainly lament as it crumbles down around us and people go there. But we do also lament in the midst of that of God's people and them getting involved in sin. And it, that there's as discouraging and as maybe as frightening as it is to see our country um, deteriorate. Folks, isn't it even more discouraging? I mean, some people even feel depressed to see God's own people fall and to lead others astray. That is so grievous to us. We understand why Habakkuk is frustrated and why he struggles with this. He wants to see righteousness rule. Well, God's answer to these concerns are that he's going to bring shock and awe to the prophet and to the nation. God's going to be clear he does not ignore the wickedness of his people and his justice and correction will come in his time and when they do it will come swift and powerfully when God ordains judgment folks it will happen and that's his message to Habakkuk he calls Habakkuk to look and be astounded and that's the title of our message today verse five look among the nations and see wonder and be astounded for I am doing a work in your days that you would not believe if told. <clears throat> Father, as we recognize again today your sovereign control, we realize at the same time, Lord, in our weakness, in, in our finiteness, we struggle. We can't see the big picture. We get fearful. We get frustrated. We, we even question Sometimes what seems to be discrepancies from your word, and how evil can seem to reign and prosper, and yet we know that you cannot look upon wickedness and that you are holy. Or we look at our country today and say, How long there's so much wickedness as people turn every aspect of your moral cord or code, your moral code on its head. And they mock your name and they surround the righteous with the idea of hopefully trying to get rid of them or silence them or reduce their influence in this, in, in our country. Lord, at the same time, remind us today that you are in control, that you do see the wickedness, and that judgment is coming. Your word is clear. And we must point people to the way they can escape that judgment through a relationship with Jesus Christ. Father, we know this message is more negative today as we look through this passage, but let us be encouraged and motivated to tell people of Christ before judgment comes, because it is a surety it will come, and it will be terrible. At the same time, we look forward to the return of Jesus Christ. Help us to be useful tools and motivated by what we read even this morning. For it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. God's answer is to be astounded at the swiftness of his work. As we look in verses 5 through 8. God's work would surprise his people. Back to verse 5. Look among the nations. I'm going to give you eyes to see, Habakkuk. Open your eyes. And you're going to wonder. And my answer to you is, I am working. I have been working. And it's going to bring you to awe. And it's going to astound. It's going to amaze, surprise you. It's going to leave you in awe and in silence. All of these things describe the effect upon the prophet. because God says, I am doing. And the way that that verb that verb is worded means that he's in the process Habakkuk didn't need to be concerned God was in the process of dealing with it it's just that many times God's timetable doesn't mesh with ours and we get a little frustrated but God says in my timetable I'm already acting on what you're so concerned about Habakkuk you just don't know it yet but now I'm about to tell you I'm doing a work in your days right now that you would not believe if told. Now, do you ever have somebody that tells you something like that and then doesn't tell you the rest of the story and leaves you hanging, just drives you crazy, right? Oh, you wouldn't believe, but what happened to me? It was just, you know, it was just mind mind blowing, and it was incredible, and I just still haven't gotten over it. But it's confidential. I, can't it. oh, I do that to my voice sometimes, just to delay the expectation. Know even in a story, you get to the end of the chapter, right, guys, and it's like, oh, they're ready, and I'm like, okay, it's time to go to bed. Close the book, and let's go. Dad! All right, I'll read another couple paragraphs from the next chapter. But God's not gonna do that to Habakkuk, He's gonna tell him. And Habakkuk's even going to have even more concerns after God tells him this. But look at what he says here: God's work will surprise his people. He's calling the prophet in Judah to look on the world scene. They didn't have Fox News and things like that back then. So God had to show him. And he would observe the mighty working of God's power among the nations. And God had already begun dealing with this evil and this wickedness that Habakkuk described. He's in the process of dealing with Judah's sins. And he will judge the wicked. And it will be in a surprising way. With an unexpected instrument, as he describes in verse 6. A nation called the Chaldeans. For behold, I am raising up the Chaldeans. These are the people that the Babylonians would come from. That bitter and hasty nation who marched through the breadth of the earth to seize dwellings, not their own. Now, why would the prophet be surprised that God would use other nations to judge his people? I mean, he certainly had done that before all throughout Israel's history. Remember, the Assyrians recently took out the northern kingdom, right? Uh, Why would Habakkuk be surprised that God would use this instrument, this avenue of judgment again? Well, I think there's a couple of reasons here based on the time period and what was going on. If we're right in assessing the time this is probably at a time where the Babylonians, the Chaldeans, were still not at full strength yet, but they're trying to be. They want to be. Um, they, were, they had come from obscure, an obscure background and had risen over hundreds of years to become the powerhouse that they were. And they're fighting it out with Assyria, and eventually they would show um, their superiority in taking over Nineveh, the Assyrian capital city. Remember, that's the one that Jonah um, prophesied for them to repent, and God showed mercy. But in the book of Nahum, we find out the Syrians went back to their old ways, and God says, judgment's coming, it's certain now. The exact opposite of Jonah's, um, the response to Jonah's ministry, God says, judgment's coming, Assyria, and the Babylonians eventually take over Nineveh, and they become The superpower but uh, probably this has not happened entirely yet and they may still be accommodating to Judah they may still have some sort of of, favoritism toward them some sort of um, goodwill at this point but they're building strength they want to eventually overcome the Assyrians and they want to become the dominating world power and maybe that's as Habakkuk heard he thought the Chaldeans we are going to use them? Well, what can they do? Well, he would soon find out as he watched the world scene. I think more likely is, probably, is, I think Judah thought that it had a special status as a favored kingdom of God. That, yeah, God had to deal with the northern kingdom of Israel and those wicked kings, but he loves Judah. We're his favorite. And he won't come and deal with us in the way that he did with them. Even probably the prophet Habakkuk got caught up in that. And so to hear that God would use an enemy nation against them personally might have been part of the surprise. And as well, I think this was certainly a part of it, that the prophet was also dismayed that the Chaldeans were about to become an even more powerful and cruel force than Assyria had been. Folks, nobody wanted another Assyria. Especially a more powerful one. And they come back, hearing this, and the surprise is, Lord, we, we don't want any more superpowers dealing with us and taking us over. But he remembers how cruel the Assyrians were, and as we continue in this description, we're going to see that the Babylonians are even worse. And this isn't encouraging to him at all. That's why he's the surprise here at the severity of God's judgment that's coming. Again, the Chaldeans were initially an unknown desert people uh, east of Babylon. They'd risen to power over hundreds of years and now they would become powerful enough to threaten the Assyrians and Egypt. And from these Chaldeans would eventually come the Babylonians who would wreak havoc across the known world and of course then take Judah into exile. And all this was going to happen pretty quickly after this as Habakkuk would look on and Jeremiah and others. And God describes this bitter and hasty nation, the middle of verse six there, that has the idea of being cruel and swift. <laughs> Military might will move un, 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 to be unstoppable across the world, to seize lands that are not their own. Who march through the breadth of the earth. There's no one that can stop them. They're unstoppable. The seized dwellings, not their own. And if you ever read the descriptions of the Assyrians, folks, they were cruel enough. They talked about fish hooks and things about their enemies. And to hear that the Babylonians would have been worse certainly wasn't heartening Habakkuk in any way. Bitter. The idea that they would leave a bitter taste in their mouth, that they were capable of bitter aggression that would end in heart wrenching results. All of this is captured. In God's response to Habakkuk. In fact, the Chaldeans would become so powerful and fearsome that they would cause those that they terrorized to be at the same time filled with awe and dread. Look at verse 7. They are dreaded and fearsome. Their justice and dignity go forth from themselves. Um, I hope that you've never personally met a grizzly bear or a lion that I can imagine. And I've heard stories that those who have encountered these strong, wild animals. I mean, you pick your own um, animal that have this majesty in the midst of their strength that even when people face them, um, that as terrorized as they are, there's a certain amount of awe that this creature is so powerful. And at the same time, fearing what that power of that creature is going to do to you. Or due to that person who's facing them. And here's that combination here. They are dreaded because of their power. But at the same time, they're so mighty. People can't help being in awe. And having respect for that kind of power. And in fact, they're so powerful and superior, folks. That they can literally make up their own code of justice. In their minds... They would exalt themselves as the deciders, the arbitrators of what is just and fair. Their justice and dignity go forth from themselves as they conquer nations. They would tell people, we make the rules now. We decide. That word for justice is used of God's justice, mishpah. And here, these people are described as ignoring even God's justice. And making up their own rules, we decide what's right and what's wrong now. Hmm, that sounds like a um, a more modern thing that we can relate to, doesn't it? People thinking, thinking in their arrogance, are powerful enough to make their own rules and literally twist God's word and His moral code around um, to turn it upside down. Well, that was certainly the case with the Babylonians as well, and. They, this idea of dignity, they exalted themselves. They were their own. They gave themselves their own honor, and they didn't care about whether anybody else honored them or not. We'll make it clear we're the superior ones. You get the idea of the arrogance and the confidence here. That certainly was um, fearsome, as is described there, to Habakkuk and the Judah. And then this, in verse 8, it describes their might by describing horses. And that may sound interesting. Why would they do that way? Well, especially in this time, folks, in the Bible times, horses portrayed military might and strength in ancient times. And these horses would then, in verse 8, they symbolize the might of the Babylonian, the Chaldean armies. They're described as stealthy, and they quickly catch their enemies by surprise we have a cat in our home that that we love his name is cookie and we still thank the russians for allowing us to have him but he's mischievous and ornery and and honestly he's a cat right so he is he's a little terrorist (laughs) and we have uh, this bird feeder we enjoy watching all these songbirds come and feed off of it but we we had to make some changes over the past year because um, especially as spring came on there was this bush the shrub underneath that sprang up and all of these um, fronds or reeds were coming out of it. And what we found, what the cat found is it made a great place to hide right under the bird feeder. So he could literally hide under there. And when a bird came by, he could come literally almost out of nowhere. And it was almost like we were watching a shark come out of the water. We caught him with that movement immediately. When he's there's, there's no movement, Bird's there, all of a sudden this swift figure comes out of the bush and paw comes out and just barely misses that bird. He was well hidden, but he was intent upon moving swiftly to gain the prey, right? So we had to deal with a few things with Tookie so that he wouldn't kill the songbirds. And uh, so now he just steals chipmunks, and that's okay. <laughs> There's plenty of those around. Here. Sorry for those of you that like chipmunks. They're kind of pesty yeah. Okay. But, folks, really that's the picture here is that these enemies are so swift they come out of nowhere. The horses are swifter than leopards, more fierce than evening wolves. They're fiercer, and and that word fierce means burning anger, anger that makes the face or the complexion red. These are people you don't mess with. And their fierce anger, they, they are on the prowl like evening wolves prowling. And they endure on and endurance they continue on in endurance and arrogance their horsemen press proudly on it seems like there's no end to their aggression their horsemen come from afar they fly like an eagle swift to devour in other words they have like an eagle eye they see the prayer the prey from a distance and they quickly come and devour it they eagerly fly in And God is saying here, God's people, Habakkuk, will see severe judgment come on them quickly, swiftly, very soon. It's coming. You watch for it. And this description that they're unstoppable. Well, the application to our world today, folks, don't we look around? And we see maybe not enemies, enemy nations as powerful as Assyria or Babylon in this description. But we still see a lot of evil going on in different countries and even our own, right? But don't we question, don't people question many times why evil is allowed to be successful? Why it's allowed to seemingly reign and be powerful and have victory? People question that all the time. Well, out of all the answers you could give folks, God's answer here is first and most important the direct reason is because of man's rebellion against God, because of man's sin. And God is going to allow this judgment to come upon his people, not because he's a cruel God or he doesn't love them, but because they've chosen to rebel against him. They've chosen to worship other things but him. And the time has come for them to experience judgment, to turn them back to him. And because this world is broken and sin reigns, there's going to be evil seeming to reign. You think of worldwide atrocities against mankind that we see in wars. I mean, right now, the name off, you know, two or three different places right around the world. I don't want to get you caught up in political things this morning. Where We're concerned about, we're praying for these places that are at war. And it seems so senseless. And why is this happening? And why are those uh, people, those, those uh, oppressive people seeming to have victory? It kind of goes back and forth. And we wonder. And maybe some, certainly some, probably question God, and there are those that are not believers that even question His ex- existence. You've probably heard talk of someone that says, "Well, if there's a God, why is there evil in the world? Why does it even exist? Why is there war? Why is there pain?" And God reminds us that He brings allows these things because of our sin. And to point people to their need for Christ and to point believers to turn his people to turn back to him. Antichrist figures, boldness and extreme arrogance rise and fall. So many throughout world history that people thought were the Antichrist. After, of course, uh, the Bible was, was finished and written and we have Revelation. If you think of more recent history, Lenin, Stalin, Hitler. Ever read about how these men came into existence? There, Hitler, I, I've read in my readings, he had to have a certain type of, or, or a certain turn of events and certain events that had to happen for him to even be able to come to power at all. It's obvious to the mind of one who's open to, to God and to his things that. There is an orchestration that there's someone, because all these things couldn't have happened by themselves. You think, how could that be allowed to happen? The evil that's in the world, and folks, at the same time, what this book tells us and what this passage tells us, that even the most wicked ruler is a pawn in the hand of God to accomplish his purposes. That's hard to fathom sometimes. God takes those who have rebelled against him and uses them for his own purposes, as he will do with his own people. And so even in the midst of this description that's hard for us to go through, folks, we have hope in the fact that God's in control of all this. God's in control of the things he allows in this world today in nations Don't get so overwhelmed by what you read in the news and what's going on and war and things that you start to question God's work. Folks, don't do that. Recognize that God is working. That's the whole purpose. Look, see what's happening and realize that God is orchestrating all these things for the benefit of his people. Even if we don't understand all the reasons why. One day, hopefully, we will. But trust him. In the midst of enemy nations and evil and war and wickedness and evil, awful figures. Trust him. He's working for our benefit. Then as we finish here in verses 9 through 11, be astounded at the power of God's work. Because God's work would powerfully affect his people. Look at verse 9. The Babylonian armies would come from afar, planning ahead violence they had made uh put their plans in order they were what they were going to accomplish verse 9 they all come for violence all their faces forward this is a picture of them moving forward with full intent we've made our plans we're moving forward nothing's going to stop us we're going to conquer the world and then they gather captives like sand. They're successful. They subdue. They destroy. They're resolved to destroy, subdue, and take prisoners. <coughs> but here's the thing. God's saying, Judas Judah's going to be swept up in this too. How's that possible? And then, if all this might isn't bad enough, here's maybe the worst aspect of all this. And God's work is going to subdue his own people. But these armies won't be intimidated by anybody. They intimidate everybody else. Look at verse 10. At kings, they scoff. There's different words here for scoffing and mocking. Scoff. Laugh at the rulers. Laugh at every fortress. Each has a little bit of a different meaning. At kings, they scoff. Literally, they deride and belittle. They make fun of the authority and power of every other king. (laughs) They can't stop us. Look at these look at these other nations trying to stop us. I mean, if they're laughing at the Assyrians, the world's most powerful nation, and taking them down, folks, no other king is going to stand before them, and they mock and they make fun of. and they treat then other rulers as they laugh as objects of mockery and derision. Um, the joker, the jest, the jester, is that what was called in medieval times? That would always come in and uh, provide humor for the king. That's how these. That, that's how the Babylonians treat all other rulers. You're just a joke to us. We're going to take you out. They laugh at every fortress and any other nation's fortress, and their security measures are merely amusements for them. And overcoming them is like playing games and having fun, like we say today, like child's play. They laugh and every fortress. And for they pile up earth and take it. We know from historical records that one of the ways the Babylonians would uh, defeat a major fortress and the people, even in Nineveh, was they would besiege it, and then they would take their time and they would build ramps of earth, literally to go right up the side of the wall, and then they'd just go right up that ramp and right on into the city. That's exactly what's described here. They pile up earth, they make a ramp, and they take it. They don't, nothing is refused from them. They sweep in like a whirlwind and take whatever they want. It's bad enough when people are so arrogant and confident and they want to do evil against you. But folks, when they laugh, and when it seems, and then what God's saying is he's going to allow them to have this attitude against him. Habakkuk probably at this point certainly is astounded bad enough to have evil people mock us and treat us in this way but Lord you're going to allow this how could that be possible verse 11 then they sweep in by the wind and go on guilty men they're admittedly guilty of war crimes and nobody can do anything about it and they're so arrogant whose might is their own God that they don't worship at the feet of any other God they worship themselves They worship their own power. Wow. Here's the end of this, that because of Judah's sin that Habakkuk has lamented over, she'll be subdued by this powerful, powerful, arrogant, unstoppable people and nation. I think you can understand that was not the answer that Habakkuk had expected or intended for God to say lived in Florida for many years, and as you can imagine, one of the perks, I say that with tongue-in-cheek, one of the perks of living in Florida is you get to experience hurricanes, and hurricanes are mighty in strength. I've seen a lot of their destruction, their destructive power have gone afterwards down to areas that were affected and actually helped people, brought water, brought food, brought supplies in um, after Hurricane Andrew and, and some others and have seen the devastation. But you know, with a hurricane, you usually have a few days at least. I know how they try to predict these things weeks and weeks out, but I mean, that's almost laughable sometimes, um, how far off they are. But you do have at least a few days to prepare for hurricanes. There was one time I was living though in Winter Garden, Central Florida, near Orlando, just a few uh, a 20 minute drive from Disney World, living with my parents in an apartment complex there. And All of a sudden, last minute, we started getting indications and emergency sounds. And there was a tornado coming, but you know how swift those are. And you don't get much of a warning for a tornado. <clears throat> and the skies were getting dark, and they were alerting everybody in, in our small town that the tornado was was coming through. And we were we were listening to that was back in, in the late '90s, and we still listened to radio. And we listened to the news off, off the radio and they were telling us that t- the tornado was coming and things were getting darker and I did turn up uh, I'll pull up my window because I'd heard you know that when a tornado comes a lot of times it sounds like a, a Mack truck or a train and I, wanted, I wanted to hear the whistle or something I wanted to hear the power of this thing and it's the exact opposite for me some others said that they heard the the, the rush of the wind but it was eerily quiet it was like there was nothing and I just realized at that point that we were literally later on. We were literally a few seconds from that tornado hitting this town of Winter Garden, and thankfully, it didn't hit our area because in these uh, apartment complexes, they weren't really built to withstand tornadoes. But it did hit kind of the center of town right before you right before you enter into the town area, and a number of folks. It actually came quite near our church that I attended and where God. Um, Used ministry there directly in my life. Just a few blocks beyond, we had a number of folks that were directly um, affected by this tornado. And I drove over there later and tried to get beyond the debris. Got there early because I was concerned for our folks, and our folks were in shock. There was a number of uh, of people that were just kind of looking at their house and wondering what what they were going to do. And I just tried to encourage them. I tried to pull some branches back and tried to help the best I could. There was one family, um, some teens in our church. Their grandmother lived in that town, and she had gone to bed. She wasn't aware of the tornado one. And probably 30 minutes right before she fell asleep, tornado came through and took this tree down and literally crashed in through her roof right over her bed. And thankfully, it was large enough that it hit the other wall, and before it hit her, it stopped. Went to visit and take a look, and to look in that very bedroom and realize how close this grandmother had been to death, and it was it was sobering. And she was doing okay. The family was doing okay. Then I went to one of the worst-hit sections, which unfortunately was the mobile home area. And of course, you can imagine the devastation there. And People were just in shock and just kind of wandering around, and you just kind of watch them pick up stuff that really doesn't matter at that point. The places are destroyed. But swift destruction that comes and leaves devastation in its wake, that certainly is what a tornado does here. And that's what is about to come in the play for God's peace. How do you respond to that? Well, Habakkuk was certainly caught by the surprise of God's response. Whatever he expected God to do in response to his complaint, this was not it to bring cruelty, slavery, destruction by an evil, pagan, arrogant nation upon God's own people. Israel, certainly, God, the northern kingdom, they deserved it. But we're Judah. Can't you just tell the evil people to stop it and, and warn them again? Don't allow this to happen. And he can't sink God's promises for a people Is God's promises and loving care for his people with them allowing them or them being allowed to be carried away by this awful godless nation. In other words, how can God allow such sinful instruments to carry out correction on righteous Judah? He's holy and cannot associate with evil. This is Habakkuk's response. Look at verses 12 to 13 as we end here. Are you not from everlasting, O Lord, my God, my Holy One? We shall not die. We're your people. We'll we'll be for eternal. O Lord, you have ordained them as a judgment. And you, O Rock, have established them for reproof. You who are of of pure eyes than to see evil and cannot look at wrong. Why do you idly look at traitors and remain silent when the wicked swallows up the man more righteous than he? Now, Habakkuk has other questions on top of his questions. And we'll get into the next week, How a response. He's more agitated in some ways now than ever because God has opened his eyes. But, folks, we're going to see at the end of next week that he has the right response. And that is he reads upon the Lord. So where do we find application in of this today? Folks, we don't know what God has planned. We don't know what God has planned for this country, for this nation, as wicked as it is, for this world. We don't know when Jesus is going to return. We don't know when God will act in in this community or when he'll bring a storm or, or, or any kind of devastation. And when these things happen, or even the struggles that you have right now that are devastating to you, that would cause you to question, even as God's people, is God really there? Is he really working? Sometimes we just want an indication. God, just show us that you're there. and You're doing something. And God's response to us is, I'm always working. I'm always working my plan and doing something, even if you can't see it. And in my time, you will know, maybe after this life, folks, God calls us to trust him. The fact that he is in control. The fact that no evil goes beyond his um, observance and that he will bring justice. He will deal with wickedness. He will deal with sin. And folks, what's our job then? One day, God will deal with sin in a final way that's even more awful than the Babylonian armies. It will be eternal destruction. And it will be truly awful. And when we recognize that, then we need to sound the alarm and let people know that they need to trust Christ. God has put everything in place for us to avoid that judgment. It's through Jesus Christ. Point them to him. We don't want to see anybody go through judgment that's even more awful than what's described here. And so we pray, Lord, help us to proclaim your word that people might avoid this and Have a relationship with you. And then secondly, folks, when even God's people, when God has to deal with us, don't get angry with them. But submit to it. Let him do his work, his correcting work in our lives. Don't get bitter. It may surprise us what he uses to correct us. But let his work take place. Trust him. Understand that he loves us as his people, he is doing everything to change us, to be more like Christ, to bring us closer to him. And Judah would eventually get that message as they were brought back from exile. They would turn back to God, and God's purposes would be taken care of. So as we look and maybe we're astounded at God's work, folks, trust him. Trust his work in your life. Father, thank you for this reminder. As awful as this judgment is that's described, we know that our loving Heavenly Father moves all these things and works all these things. And, his, and you have an ultimate plan, not just for the church, not just for this country, the United States of America, but you are working throughout the whole world. And your plan goes beyond the whole world into the universe. And that you, your plan and your Things are much bigger than us individually, so of course we're not going to understand everything and comprehend everything. So help us in the midst of when we these difficult times come, whether it's war, whether it's uh, destruction in our country, or whether it's a disease, illness that could bring devastation in our own lives. Help us to trust in you as our loving heavenly Father that. Will deal with evil and just will bring justice and will provide for us a place one day where perfect righteousness and justice will reign. In how, how we look forward to that day. Keep us patient and help us to endure until that takes place. For it is in Jesus' name that we pray.